Paul uh, wrote this letter to Colossians because someone was infiltrating the church and deceiving them, giving them false teaching, giving them false advice. And so Paul was concerned about that. He was concerned about a corruption of Christianity with elements of mystical and legalistic Judaism, you know, legalism. So Paul wrote to the Colossian church to tell them that Jesus is all they need. If you read the entire chapter of Colossians, uh, which we don't have time to do today, we're going to look at the first 14 verses of chapter 1, but um, to Paul, Jesus is supreme in everything. And so Paul wrote to the Colossian church to tell them that Jesus is all they need. It was a time of uh, religious mixing, you know, a little bit of that religion, a little bit of this religion. But Paul, Paul reminds them that Jesus is the, is the fulfillment of God. He's the fullness of God. And in him, they have been made complete. Uh, that's true for us. Okay? Whatever the, the problem was precisely, Paul dwelt on the solution as a better understanding of Jesus. Knowing the real Jesus helps them, helps us to stay away from the counterfeit, uh, no matter how it comes packaged. Paul is also reinforcing the truth that they don't need those other things, those other false teachings, and we don't either. Uh, Paul uh, was uh, thankful that the people uh, trusted in Christ, and he wanted to remind them that, that Jesus is all they need for salvation, and that's true for us. Uh, he wanted to uh, let them know they could live the life God created them to live. And that is true for us. <clears throat> so I'm going to look at verses 1 and 2. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It's an introduction. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he talks about saints, the Colossians being saints, and he's not talking about, uh, when he talks about saints, he's talking about those who have trusted in Christ for salvation. Right? And he mentions them as faithful brethren. He probably was addressing those people because uh, for those who didn't embrace these false teachings. Uh, so Paul was convinced that uh, many of them knew the gospel and they were staying with the gospel. So he wanted them to be faithful brethren of course, that's true for us today, to be faithful brethren. He talks about grace to you and, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This letter was full of love and concern for the Colossians. He hadn't been there. He never met them. Um, he didn't directly know them, but he loved them nonetheless. And uh, so you don't need to see other Christians. We know other Christians around the world. We don't know, but yet... We're concerned about them. And so that was Paul. Paul was concerned about the Colossians, what they were being taught, and they say true to what was being taught. And notice that Paul mentions uh, grace first and then peace. Grace to you and peace from God the Father. Paul mentioned grace in that order because without, uh, we cannot experience peace with God unless we first have experienced the grace of God. Right? And just something um, that I've been reading recently and talking about mercy and grace. We know about mercy and we know about grace. I don't you know the difference or not. I was sort of interested in it. But mercy is getting what we, uh, not getting what we deserve. 
Mercy is not getting what we deserve, <clears throat> whereas grace is getting what we don't deserve. For an example uh, is if I'm driving down the road, 80 miles an hour in a 45-mile zone, and I get pulled over all right, by a policeman, and I deserve a fine, but he lets me go. Doesn't find me, doesn't do anything. Okay, that's mercy. But then he does something unexpected. He goes to his car, comes back, and gives me a $50 gas gift card. All right? <clears throat> I don't know why, but he did. It's out of just disgrace, all right? So uh, I get something that I don't deserve, all right? And that's true with us, with us who have experienced uh, salvation through Jesus Christ. Uh, we have. Um, salvation, we have eternal life, we are called citizens of heaven, uh, we're heirs, we're children of God. First um, Corinthians 9, I wrote it down so I wouldn't remember it. What, what no eye has seen, and what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, things that God has prepared for those who love him. So there's so much more, and we don't really know but we know that God has blessed us, given us his mercy and his grace. And if we go to verse 3, we see that Paul has a habit of praying for the Colossians. In verse 3, it says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Uh, even though Paul hadn't met them or been a, in, with them, it doesn't say he prayed for them often. It says he prayed for them always. And when Paul did pray for the Colossians, he did it of gratitude. He gives thanks to God for them. So he wants to send a message of God's grace instead of legalism, which emphasizes human effort and neglects divine grace. So we go to verses 4 to 8. <clears throat> Get more into the meat of the passage here. So I'll read verses 4 to 8. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it is also in the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, as you learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul is saying there were some really positive things to the uh, Colossians. <clears throat> he was thankful um, for their faith in Christ Jesus. He was thankful for their love for all the saints. Genuine faith in Jesus should always have a true love for God's people as a companion. Paul was thankful for the hope laid up for them in heaven. He was thankful when he considered the destiny of the Colossian Christians. And Paul was thankful that their eternal destiny was affected by the truth of the gospel brought to him by Epaphras. And Epaphras um, says he's a faithful minister. It says he's a faithful minister. It doesn't mean he was better than them, superior to the other Christians. It meant that he was serving them. He was one, a minister in this case means one who serves. So Paul wanted to remind the Colossians of the gospel that Epaphras taught them the truth of the gospel. So how did Paul pray for the Colossian Christians? We go to verses 9 to 11. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom 
in spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. So Paul prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will, informed by a true spiritual understanding. He didn't want them to be ignorant. Spiritual ignorance is the constant source of error, instability, uh, and sorrow. Paul desired they might be soundly taught in the things of God. And he wants them to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Our walk with God is based on knowing God and knowing his will. I mean, how can we do God's will? We talk about, let's do God's will. Or what was, how can we do God's will if we don't know God's will? How can we do God's will if we don't know God? So it's important that we know him and then our walk can be pleasing to God. We have a, a worthy walk. And when he talks about, again, this is an ongoing process. We fail at times. We make mistakes. Uh, things happen and we just sort of lose it. But God always welcomes us back. But we can walk with God's grace uh, uh, to be fruitful in every good work. Now remember, the world will tell us what to do, what to believe. And it's often contrary to God's will. So you turn on the TV and you hear stuff, you know, all the time. When we study God's will, word, we develop an understanding of it. And that truly pleases God. Now, this is not to gain or earn our salvation, but to walk out our faith to please God. <clears throat> the Bible makes it clear it is not works that make uh, sinners righteous. It is rather works reveal the righteousness that has come by salvation through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, a favorite passage of mine. Because you have been saved by grace through faith, this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, uh, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then from there, he says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it's, he makes it clear that we are saved by grace through faith. The works come as a result of being saved. Right? It should be. God wants an intimate relationship with us. We've heard that many times. And when we have that intimate relationship with, with God, uh, then he wants us to bear fruit in every good work. Paul was echoing Jesus' thoughts probably in John 15, 7, 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. So we're fruitful in every good work. So what comes first, the fruit or uh, the good works? It's like it comes first, the chicken or the egg, all right? Well, uh, in this case, I believe, I guess my, my thought is that fruit comes first because the fruit God produces in us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is producing fruit in us. It is God working in us and through us. And again, he doesn't give grace because of our good works. We do good works because of his grace. 
And uh, David Jeremiah gave like five examples of bearing fruit. And uh, one of them is masters we're familiar with, Galatians 5, 23, describes our character, godly character traits that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. Verse 22, 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the Holy Spirit is producing this in us. These are gifts from God in their outgrowths of the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. Philippians 1, 6 says, God who hath begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit, again, produces uh, fruit in our lives. It's pleasing to God. A second example he gave was that the conduct of our lives is a kind of fruit. We bear fruit through our conduct. There's two verses that refer to that. James uh, 3.13 says, By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And also Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we bear fruit through our conduct. Um, we also, a third, is we bear fruit through our words. Okay? When we give words of thanksgiving or praise, uh, it's a kind of fruit. Hebrews 13:15 says, Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, fruit of our lips. So our words, our praise, our thanksgiving is fruit right, that God is producing in us. A fourth thing, Paul talked about our monetary contributions to God as fruit. Being a fruitful giver worships God. You can refer to Philippians chapter 4, 16, 17 for that. And then a uh, fifth thing was winning people to Christ. Even planting a gospel seed sometimes that can produce fruit. Sometimes we'll talk to a person and they aren't ready to accept Jesus at that time. But just, you know, just set it, planting a seed. Somebody else might come along and say something else, or you might get a chance later to talk to them. But winning people to Christ is a kind of fruit. So how many of you know, have heard of Bobby Richardson? Any old-time Yankee fans, maybe some Pirate fans, uh, a long time ago? Well, Bobby Richardson was the second baseman for the New York Yankees in the 50s and 60s. He was a pretty good player. Uh, he was a teammate of some of the baseball greats like Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra, uh, and uh, Roger Maris. Um, Bobby was a devout Christian during his playing days. And he uh, lived a fruitful life. Of, of, uh, he was a good witness. But a lot of these other guys that on his team, they weren't exactly you know, devout. Bobby stuck to his devout Christian life throughout his playing days. A lot of times when people would go out to eat, uh, he'd go out with somebody. But as a teammate, like Mickey Mantle, for example, would, they'd go out and party and they would do heavy drinking and all kinds of things like that. And uh, Mickey Mantle knew Bobby was a good teammate. Bobby always thought it was a, being a good teammate was a good witness. Um, and Bobby, er, Mickey Mantle knew. Mickey Mantle was one of the greatest players of his time. He's probably one of the greatest players of all time. Um, and uh, he's also one of the most popular even after he retired. But Mickey had a 
he was a self-proclaimed alcoholic. He got treatment for that, but he developed liver disease. The heavy drinking had taken a toll on his health. So shortly before his death, Bob Mickey Mantle was in the hospital, and Mickey asked to see Bobby Richardson. So Bobby flew from where he was to meet with Mickey in his final days. This is from his book, if you don't mind me reading it, from Bobby Richardson's book, uh, Impact Player. He said, on the plane, as I realized this likely would be my final visit with Mickey, I prayed for my teammate's life. We arrived in Dallas that night. First thing the next morning, I headed to the hospital. I didn't know what to expect. So as I op pushed open the door, Mickey flashed his Don Home country boy smile. I can't wait to tell you this, Mano said right away. I want you to know that I'm a Christian. I've accepted Christ as my savior. I was thrilled, of course, but I said, Mickey, to make sure you understand, let me go with you again. And then I began to share the testimony that Mickey had heard many times, his teammates had heard. Mickey, God loves you and has a purpose for your life. He sent the Lord Jesus to shed his precious blood and promised in his word that if you repent of your sins and receive him as Savior, you may indeed have everlasting life. I did that very thing when I was a boy. My pastor came uh, around and uh, opened up God's word and talked about how Romans says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Mickey, you and I are both sinners. We're in the same category. But the Bible says there's a penalty involved. The wages of sin is death, eternal death. The good news is that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day, according to scriptures. That day, as a young boy, I responded to ask God to forgive my sins, and I received him as my Lord and Savior of my life. That's just what I've done, Mickey told me. I have received Jesus as my Savior. So you can see that I, thanks to Bobby's faithful witness uh, to his teammates, to Mickey Mantle, by his Christ-centered lifestyle, his testimony, Mickey accepted Christ as his Savior. That's fruit. Right? That's fruit. It's also a story of God's unlimited grace. I think, what if Bobby Richardson didn't live that type of lifestyle, Christian lifestyle, devout, life, devout Christian lifestyle? Would Mickey have ever heard the testimony? Would he have been saying, we'll never know, but we know that he was, and uh, Mickey eventually came around and accepted Christ. So Mickey will be in front of God, not talking about all the home runs he hit, but just glorifying God because he's saved by grace through faith. <clears throat> and I wanted to, uh, I thought about what good works are, like bearing fruit in every good work. Um, remember that the whole, I believe that God gives us opportunities to do good works. He prompts us, he guides us, and he empowers us. And when he gives us these opportunities, we need to, you know, as we said, shine the light, okay, as we sang before. And I just jotted down some examples of good works. For example, have you prayed for anybody lately? See, I'm not here to tell you to do these things. I bet you all of you have done these and have been doing them and are doing them now. So I'm not telling you, do this, do that. I'm saying, have you prayed for anybody? Well, yeah, we just prayed this morning, right? We're in the service. Have you worshiped God? 
We had some great bluegrass music, Amazing Grace, we worship God. Again, that's being fruitful in good works. Uh, have you held on to the truth of God's word? Uh, you know, there's other people around us who mock us sometimes and look down on us or make fun of us. But do we hold to the truth of God's word and continue to live out our lifestyle? Uh, have you been kind with anyone? I'm sure you have. Even small acts. Have you been patient with someone, especially someone maybe it's difficult? Been charitable? Have you talked to somebody about Christ? Prayed for somebody about Christ? Have you comforted a small child? Okay, that's being fruitful in good works. Have you gone out of your way for someone? Uh, maybe changed your plans for someone? Um, have you been praying for Israel in the Middle East through this time? Um, as being fruitful in good works. Have you are participating in the shoebox campaign? All right, that we're having. That's being fruitful in good works. It's not just big things, though. It's little things. I wanted to give you uh, two little stories of time. Um, I'll tell you a good work that I did that was so remarkable. Please hold your applause till I'm done after I tell you this. But I was coming out of a doctor's office, and I was walking out. Well, there's two doors. There's outer doors and inner doors, and they both have those buttons. You know, you push to automatic. Uh, Maybe a lot of you don't know. I hope you don't need to know that. But there are buttons you can push on the doors so they automatically will open. On the way out, though, you only have to go to the outer doors. So I was coming out, and I saw this older lady. She had a walker, and she was going really slow and trying to get through. And so I said, oh, I saw her, and I hit the button, right? And, of course, the door opened. And it made me laugh because she said, oh, you're so polite. I thought, well, if I had a nickel for every time somebody said that, I'd have a nickel. <clears throat> but I thought, you know, it was just a little thought. All I did was hit the button. <laughs> uh, but it, God, I think, was teaching me, and he has, teaches me that it does something maybe little to you, but it might be big to somebody else. And another time, I was driving to Clearfield for a doctor's appointment. Are you sensing a theme here, by the way? <laughs> anyway... <laughs> I was driving to Clearfield. Again, I'm not saying this uh, to make myself look good or anything. Please don't think that. I think it's, this is how God is at work. He works in you and it works in us. But I was driving, driving to Clearfield for an appointment, doctor's appointment, and I got a little bit down the road and I remember something I had forgotten. So I turned around, came back, got what I missed, and then drove into Clearfield. I pro probably cost me about five minutes. That's all. Not, nothing much. <clears throat> But as I pulled into the parking lot of the doctor's office, another lady had pulled in right beside me at that, almost the exact same time. And she was really struggling to get out of her car. I could see in her, <clears throat> excuse me, I could see in her face that, you know, she was in pain and discomfort and was really struggling. So I did probably what every one of you would have done if you had seen, seen that. So it's not like just me. But I was able to help her go through the outer doors and the inner doors. But what I realized is that later is that because I was five minutes later than I thought I'd been, if I had been five minutes earlier, I would have already have been in the doctor's office and I never would have been able to help her get in. You say, oh, that's coincidence. I don't think it was coincidence. You can't convince me of that. It was just doing a, you know. So it's just something little. Again, it meant a lot to somebody else. And I'm sure you have many examples of your life where you 
something happened, you thought, oh, coincidence, but you were able to, to uh, share or you were able to serve in some way. Another time I was going to the doctors. No, that's, that's enough. That's enough doctor stories for now. <laughs> but, uh, but I want to clarify something. I'm not trying to add strife to your life. I'm not trying to make you feel like, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, uh, do some kind of legalistic stuff. No, I'm not saying that. It's not your performance that brings favor to you from God. It's not your performance that brings you favor from God. I've heard it said many times. In fact, we were at a Mercy Me concert past, not yesterday, but last Saturday. And the lead singer, he said this too. He says, I've heard and read, I said that God cannot love you more than he does right now. Okay? God has saved us by his grace, and we are accepted only by his grace. Again, not by his performance. But what I am saying that uh, whenever God gives you an opportunity to do some kind of good work, just walk through that door. You may see joy for some other person, joy for yourself, and be pleasing to God. Remember, God loves you and has fully accepted you through Jesus. And then be faithful and fruitful in good works. If there's anything that people see in us, let it be love, unity, the light of hope and peace. We shine the light that comes through relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that our good works be a blessing to others and bring glory to God. But know this, we are strengthened by God's might, by his glorious power. Just as we trust in Christ for our salvation, not by earning it, uh, we trust in his might and in his power. He gives us everything we need to lead a life that pleases God, glorifies God, and brings us joy. It's a life that bears fruit. And then as he goes to the verses 12 to 14, Paul gives some specific thanks to his, the Father. So verses 12 to 14, giving thanks to the Father has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, and who we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So it says the Father has qualified us. We give thanks to the Father because he has qualified us. It's not by our own works. It's not by anything we've gained. It's an inheritance instead of earning it as a wage. And he's delivered us from the power of darkness. We're no longer under Satan's power anymore. Yes, we may fail and make mistakes at times, but God forgives us. We just confess it and move on. Okay? So God has um, conveyed or brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We are in God's kingdom. We need to believe that. Okay? Everything we have and everything we are now belongs to him. And he has given us so much. We have so much to look forward to in our future. He says we have redemption through his blood. Redemption has the idea of release by a legal ransom. The price for our release was paid by the blood of Jesus. You might see on movies or books or TV shows where a character uh, wants to get redemption. He did something wrong, and so he wants to do something, redeem himself. And, uh, <clears throat> or you might see in sports where uh, you know, a baseball player makes an error, and he wants to redeem himself, so he hits a home run, and he, he redeems himself. But that's not a spiritual redemption. 
Spiritual redemption comes only from the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And he gives us that as we receive him. And we have forgiveness of sins. Um, it's a cancellation of a debt we can never pay. Josh has referred to that in a couple of times like that uh, recently. It's nullification of wrongdoing. It's restoration and recovery of fellowship. And it's made possible, again, only by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. So one of the main reasons why I picked this, I think it's a great passage, but I've often taken verses 9 to, uh, well, I want to give a little a quick summary first. Sum up, just real short things. Give, Paul gives five characteristics of a life that pleases God. Knowing God, uh, holding on to the truth of the gospel, doing good, depending on God's power, and giving thanks. Again, uh, these are things that we, uh, God will grow and develop in us as we walk with him. But again, it's knowing God, holding on to the truth of the gospel, doing good, depending on God's power, and giving thanks. And again, the reason, one of the reasons why I really like this passage, I've often taken verses 9 to 14, and I've prayed, turned that into a prayer for myself, for my family, for our church, for other believers.